Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you and thank you and praise you for the gift of our lives, the gift of our faith. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you make us capable of hearing your voice, of recognizing your call. Lord, bless us tonight with an increased gift of discernment. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Carrie and I fell in love in Washington, D.C., where I was studying and she was nearby studying and discerned a call to be married and got engaged. And, and then we had to discern after we got married, where were we going to live? Because we were clear on one point. God is calling us to be near family. My family's in Boston. Her family's in Seattle. Let's go live with family. Yes. And so we had to pray and discern and decide where was God leading us. And so we did. We prayed and we discerned and, and she decided that God, we decided God was calling us to come to Seattle. Guys, you know how, that was a wise man, right? Very wise man. Um, and so we ended up moving out here over 20, almost 25 years ago, we moved out here. And, um, and, and it was all based on this idea of not what do we want, but God, what do you want? And I think there's, a, there's an insight to hold on to, and it's this. Jesus doesn't see a crowd. He sees you. Jesus doesn't see a crowd. He sees you. Mark 3.3 3 was the scripture that I discerned was the, the scriptural theme of the uh, nonprofit ministry, the Catholic apostolate that I started back in 2000, the year 2000, and ran for 16 years. Um, Rise and come forward was what Jesus said to the man with the withered hand in the synagogue. Jesus didn't see the crowd. He saw that man. And he said to that man, rise and come forward. And I think that's one of the important keys of discernment is recognizing that here each of us is in a much smaller crowd tonight. But Jesus doesn't ever see the crowd. He's personally here and he sees each of you. And I'm going to propose that you discerned and took action on that discernment to come out tonight. For whatever reason, God got you here. And in getting you here, he intends to bless you. He brought you here for a purpose. He's going to say to you tonight, rise and come forward, because each of us in our own way is living a withered hand existence. And the, if we are willing to rise and come forward, to come out of that sense of I'm lost in the crowd, I'm not seen, I'm not known, I'm not named, the Lord doesn't know what's going on. No, he knows exactly what's going on, and he intends to do something about it. That's discernment. Discernment is recognizing this truth that the personal God addresses us in a personal way where we are at. And he wants to touch us and, and literally make us a sign and a wonder. If you want to know what the Lord is like, come and hang around with me and you'll see a life that has become a sign and a wonder. That's what you should be able to say about your life. 
I know the kingdom of God is alive because of what's happened in my life. So the first, my first challenge, invitation to you is, let the Lord make you a sign and a wonder. He brought you here for a purpose. Don't leave empty-handed just having heard a talk. Well, if all that happens tonight is you heard a talk, you missed out. Jesus brought you here to meet you where you're at and to bring you forward and in doing so to display his glory to the world and his love for you in this world. Let's get going now. So I'm gonna summarize three talks that each last an hour to a total of about 45 minutes. Watch, I'm just gonna talk really fast. No, that's not what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna talk about the, the basis for discernment, which is pretty simple. God has a plan for your life. He doesn't hide it from you. And he speaks to you in a way that you can understand. Those are the, that's the basis for the, even the concept of discernment. Right, we all know Jeremiah 29, right? Verse 11, 12. But I know well the plans I have in mind for you, right? A future full of hope. Right? That's the beautiful scripture from Jeremiah that is the basis for discernment that the Lord says, I know well the plans I have in mind for you. Not plans for your welfare, not for woe. Plans for a future full of hope. And I can remember when people would say that in talks that I would hear about discernment, um, one of my quick responses was when they would say, I know well the plans I have in mind for you. And I said, that's great, God, would you tell me? I'm glad you have them in mind, but what about me? Can you make them known to me? So first simple point, which is such an important one and we shouldn't forget it, God not only willed to create you, he willed to create you in this moment in history, and he did so because he has a purpose and a plan for your life. That is so helpful to know. But to make it, again, it's not the crowd, it's you. And there's a part that you're supposed to play that no one else can play. Wow. Okay, so that's great. We all get that. But he also communicates it. He doesn't hide his plan. He doesn't hide his plan. Even though it feels so obscure, even though sometimes we lose sight of it, even though we can forget it, he does not hide his plan from us. He communicates it. And one of the things that I've learned to pray was, Lord, speak to me in a way that I can understand what you're saying. Make that specific request. Lord, I'm having a hard time sorting it all out. So speak to me in a way that I can understand. Make it clear, Lord. And you will be pleasantly blown away at how clear the Lord will make what it is he's saying to you. So that's just the basis for discernment. He's got a plan, he doesn't hide it, and he can communicate it in a way that you can understand. So ask him for that. Okay, let's take a look now at what does the scripture say about discernment? Really quick. The first is as a word, discernment doesn't show up often in the scriptures. The, the principle, the most common use of the word discernment in the scriptures is in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about discernment of spirits. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it has to do with what? Recognizing what is 
the spiritual or supernatural force at work in this moment? Is it from God? Is it from the devil? So discernment of spirits is being able to recognize what is the supernatural force at work in the moment. But as a theme, as a concept, it's much more common. Think Luke chapter 11, right? Verse, beginning of verse 51, Jesus says, I've come to light a fire on the earth, and, uh, come to light a fire on the earth, how I long for it to be emblazed. And then he says, uh, look, you can look around and you see the signs in the sky and the earth, but do you discern the present time? Why can't you discern the present time? So there's Jesus saying that there's an expectation that we, his people, his followers, ought to be able to look around at the things happening in this world and recognize God is at work. So that's one of the times where the word discernment is used as a concept or, or as a theme, which is recognize and respond. So discernment is part of a process of recognizing what God is doing and responding to that. In fact, the, the, the summary of our life uh, as disciples, if you take a look at the great uh, tradition of spiritual writing on being a disciple, you can summarize it in two words, discern and obey, listen and follow. It's that simple. I recognize what God asks of me and I do that. That's discipleship in a nutshell. Now, when it comes to principles that spell out how to do that, well, there's a whole bunch of them, and we're going to look at some of them tonight. Well, let's move from Scripture to our tradition, and let's dig into this concept of discernment a little bit more. When we talk about discerning, there's a Latin word, discretio, that is the first um, teaching concept that identifies and begins to expound upon uh, the concept of discernment. It comes from um, Saint, uh, John uh, Cassian. He was a, a Western father, a monastic writer, and he talks about discretio as the capacity to distinguish. So discernment or discretio is this capacity to distinguish the source of a particular stirring a particular interior impulse or urge that we have within us. And so discretio or discernment is the capacity to say, okay, I'm feeling this nudge to do this, to say this, to avoid this. I'm feeling this inclination or impulse within me. Where does that come from? Does that come from God? Does that come from the devil? Or is that just lunch, right? Where is that nudge find its source? And so as we grow in our capacity to discern in our discretio, in our discretion, we're learning how to distinguish between the sources that are at work within us. A little bit later, we're gonna talk about some of the practices we can do, those spiritual ways that we exercise discretio, to begin to realize, wait a minute, that was not God, that was me. I thought that was God. Actually, I was being deceived. That was the devil. That was a demon that was stirring me to take an action in a different direction. So discretio is one form. The second is praying for discernment as a gift, as a gift from God. 
And that more narrow concept of discernment is connected in um, certain uh, great teachers of the church, like uh, in Aquinas, as having prophetic insight. So discernment is the person who can look at the sway of what's happening in a moment and have a prophetic insight and say, there's where God is at work. This is what's happening. So discernment came to have a more narrow meaning in our tradition. Where it had a more general application was in terms of the concept of prudence, the cardinal virtue of prudence. Prudence is what? Prudence is that virtue by which we recognize the good at stake and the right means of realizing it. How's this for getting some theology tonight? All right. Prudence is the virtue by which we recognize the good that's at stake in this moment and the right means of realizing that good. So for instance, you made a decision to come out tonight. You looked out the window and you saw the snow falling and you said, what's the good at stake tonight? Oh, the good at stake is I need to go to that prayer meeting because I want to praise and worship God. I want to fellowship. I want to engage in this teaching. The Lord has a blessing for me. That's the good at stake. The right way of accomplishing it is carefully, peacefully driving the car safely to get to the church. Other people did what? They looked at the good at stake and they said, this weather is really bad. Doesn't make sense to go out. The good that's at stake is, I don't know how to feel comfortable driving in this weather. I'm not going to go out. Let me say that hidden in that simple definition of prudence is one of the most important principles for living well in marriage and family. And it's this. Thomas Aquinas says, in order to accomplish a good thing, it must be done in a good way. If you recognize the good that's at stake, there's the good thing, we must be unified as a family, or we must get along, or we must address this thing that's happening in the family. We must do a good thing in the right way. If we do the good thing in the wrong way, it becomes a bad thing. Whoa. There is a lot there. Doing a good thing in a bad way makes it a bad thing. I'm going to give you a very, uh, I'll give you another principle that's drawn from our tradition around prudence, and it has to do with love. Um, one of the ways that prudence becomes guided is by love, right? Do whatever love requires was a famous saying of a, a blessed, not a saint yet, but a, a blessed. Um, and uh, do whatever love requires, which is beautiful, and until you, until you try to apply it. In, to the concrete circumstances of the moment. Here's an example I love to give. It's a, I love to give about love. All right. Um, and it's this. As a, as a father of children, in loving them, am I supposed to go before them and set an example and a standard? Am I supposed to be with them and, and encourage them? Or am I supposed to get behind them and say, I've got you covered and I'll take care of this for you? What's love supposed to do? Yes. Did you get that? And so love goes before, love says I'm with you, and love says I've got your back. So for instance, okay, here it is. It's after dinner. 
This kid is supposed to do the after-dinner chores of washing the dishes. What's the loving thing to do? Do I lovingly uphold a standard and say, I love you enough to tell you, get there and wash the dishes before you get to your homework or before you get to go hang out with your friends or do whatever you want to do. I love you enough to uphold a standard, provide a model, go do it. Or do I say, you know what? You had a hard day. I'm going to lovingly wash the dishes with you so that you're not alone. You're going you're gonna to do what you're asked to do, but I love you enough to say, I'm going to stand in solidarity with you and I'm going to wash the dishes with you and encourage you and cheerlead you. You're going to get it done faster. Then you can go hang out with your friends. That's the loving thing to do. Or do I recognize that, you know what, you're really weighed down by what happened. And you're really a bit overwhelmed by what's happening at school. You know what, it's your job, but I freely am choosing to take your place. I'm going to wash the dishes for you tonight. It's your job. I'm freely doing it. You're free. Go. Take a night off. Just relax. Is that the loving thing to do? Whoa. This is discernment. Discernment says one night, it's hold the standard. The next night, wash the dishes with them. The half time after that, it's you're free. I got you covered. All of those things are done in love. All of those things are upholding a good, but finding the right way to realize it? Whew. Now do that with multiple kids in the home at once. This is exhausting. And yet this is discernment living in the moment. All of that is wrapped up in this concept of prudence. Lastly, if you come all the way to the present, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about discernment as a gift, talks about discernment as prudence, and talks about it in terms of mission as well. Meaning, specifically, it's the, church's, uh, it's the church's mission in every age to read the signs of the times and interpret them in the light of the gospel. Like, does anybody feel like it's hard to figure out what's happening right now between the election and, and politics and, and, the, and the other kind of crazy movements out there that are just anti-God and anti-gospel? It's like, Lord, what are you doing and what do you want us to do? This feels like a different time. That's one of the reasons why we're here. Our discernment is, this is a different time. And what's asked of us is this. If you want to live an ordinary life of faith as a disciple, you know what you need? Extraordinary effort. If you want to live as, a, as, a, as a, an ordinary follower of Jesus, you need the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit just to get by, just to be faithful. That's my discernment. That's why I'm here. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Let's talk about now, what do we discern? Big picture, we discern our vocation, right? Vocation means to, it's your call, right? So when God has called you into being, he called you into being with a particular 
plan and a purpose, right? But that gets brought down into different, what are called states in life, different states of life, right? So you have the married state, the clerical state, and the religious state or consecrated state. That's the, that's the life of the vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Those are the three official states of life. And then others will also identify the single life, those that are called to remain single for a purpose, but maybe not under the vows. But they don't have the same status in the tradition of the church as these three states of life. Now, here's the simple principle that the church has used for all of you that have kids that are single and are trying to figure stuff out. In the major decisions of life, God will not let you be deceived. Isn't that beautiful? In the major decisions of life, that's St. Alphonsus de Liguori. I'm not making that up. In the major decisions of life, God will not let you be deceived. Now, there's a little comma if. If you're sincerely pursuing him and his will for your life. If you're not putting up obstacles to say, I refuse to hear what you want. Here's what I want for the major decision of my life, and I'm going to pursue it, and you're going to bless that, right? No. I'm going to um, share with you, though, uh, there are, there's more than one variant on this next part, and it's this. Ultimately, what God wills and plans for your life is salvation. It's heaven, right? And so the question becomes, well, if God's called me to be married, did God call me to be married to carry or to any particular woman who would be able to help me grow in holiness and help me get to heaven and fulfill my mission? Is it that specific that there's one and only one for me, and thanks be to God, we ended up passing by each other and meeting. Whew, that was a close one. Or is it that pray and discern, is there a partner is there, is there a spouse for me, Lord, who we share the same ideals and goals that will help each other get to heaven? What's the answer? Is it that specific to one individual that I was created for? Or is it a more general? No, God gives you the, the space to discern to marry someone else who also has the call to that same state in life, but it's not that specific. You know what the answer is? Yes. Okay, that's kind of confusing, right? Well, here's one way of understanding it. Depending on the specificity of the call that is associated with your life, the specificity of the individual that God has for you also becomes more dense. Okay, what does that mean? The Blessed Mother was intended to marry St. Joseph. Two specific individuals, that's a call that is very specific. I think of the little flower, right? St. Therese, her mom and dad, right? They, we could say, were intended to marry each other. Now, what about you? I don't know. I don't know. Did God bring you to that one specific one for his purposes? Maybe. Or is it the case that your child, your children, could have more than one. There could be any number of individuals who could be that one that they're called to be married to. That's for you to discern. It really depends on the, the density, the specificity of God's call. 
I, uh, one of the things that we do in our home is that we definitely encourage our kids to pray for God's plan and purpose for their lives. What is God's vocation for you? And the idea is a simple one. You can't become anything you want to be. You can't. It's a false idea. You're not meant to be, but you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to become the one God intended you to be. You have the opportunity to fulfill the call that God has for your life. And the question becomes, where do you discover that? Where do you come to discover that call that God has for your life? It's called your heart's desire. It's the desire, here now, this is a very important point. It's the desire that is in you, but not from you. It's the desire that you discover in you that it didn't originate from your own heart, from your desire. But God planted it there as a way of giving you an indicator, of giving you a direction regarding what he has for your life. That's why silence is so important. That's why solitude is so important, is to be able to have our kids come away and learn to listen to the depths of their hearts and to give permission to the deeper desires beyond their ego, beyond their own wants, beyond their own uh, appetites, to something deeper in the core of their being to give permission for that desire to emerge within them. When that happens, they are going to be more uh, likely led into God's plan for their lives. So very important, practical thing to, um, to, to be holding on to is help your kids to embrace practices that will help them to go within their hearts to learn to be listening to their heart, their heart's desire. Uh, Psalm 37.4. Then the second one is this. What about specific major decisions? Career? Should I take this job? What about moving? Should we stay here or move there? Um, What about uh, the idea of a particular service or mission we're called to? Another principle that is drawn in our tradition is God does not deny grace to those who do what is in their power. God does not deny grace to those who do what is in their power. In other words, we don't just sit back and just say, Lord, give me your guidance, and then just expect the lightning bolt to strike. But neither does it mean that we have to plow ahead and figure it all out, and that hopefully God is somehow going to break through in all of our thinking and make clear what he wants for us. It becomes this gentle interaction, this intimate interaction between us putting efforts out until we feel like, wait a minute, I think we're forcing it here. Don't force it. Kind of step back a bit. And times when it's like, you know what? It feels like we've got to up our game. We've got to extend ourselves and do a bit more, and in doing more, remove some of the blockages that might be getting in the way from us really hearing what God wants from us or really being able to do what God wants us to do. Does that make sense? You see, that's the, that's the balancing act between forcing it and not stepping forward sufficiently. And that's something that is only going to make sense in the lived experience of your life. I'm going to give you a couple of 
practices that you can do to help you get a better sense of, okay, here's a major life decision. Am I forcing it or am I not upping my game? So I'll, I'll give a couple of practical approaches to doing that in just a minute. And then in our daily life, in our daily life, discernment is in the scriptures just called being led by the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit leads, ATSL, whatever the Lord wants, that's what I'm going to do, right? That's what the um, Acts of the Apostles, right? You know this, was also referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, in the Acts of the Apostles, they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit led us to do this. We were thinking we were going to go here, but the Spirit opened up this for us. Or the Holy Spirit and we said, so there's a constant activity in the early church, super clean and clear, that the apostles took action because they sensed this living movement of the Holy Spirit within them. Now, this is another theological principle back to St. Thomas Aquinas, and it's like a wow one, and it's this is that there are many things that will influence you from outside that attempt to get you to move in a certain direction, right? You've got the societal trends, you've got friends' voices, you've got uh, things that are coming through the media, all these different things that will come at you from the outside, that will get you to attempt to get you to take an action in a certain direction. Aquinas says there are only two motivating powers motivating forces that can move you from within. From within the core of your being, from within your heart. The first is obviously yourself. I do this. I choose that. The other is, guess what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in the core of our being in such a way that as we grow in our own intimate, personal, profound, vital, I meant each of those terms, each of those ways of describing the relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Intimate, there's a nearness. It's personal. You know it's the Holy Spirit moving you. It's profound. There's a depth to it that is overwhelming. And it's vital. It brings you to life when you're acting out of that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit within you can move you. Here's a very simple practice I encourage you to consider. When you wake up in the morning, say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Holy Spirit, lead me today. I'll follow. You will find in the course of your day these things that start emerging in you, these little promptings that, like, that's not me. And it's not just coming from the outside, but it's coming from the inside. Something that's prompting you that says, I, I need to go pray. I need to repent. And what happens is, is the supernatural becomes natural. Oh, the supernatural, the idea of having this living contact with the living Lord is something that becomes a typical part of your day. But it's always the gift of God's grace. It's always the gift of the Lord moving you. Now, let's take a look at how do we discern well? Do you want to grow in your capacity to discern? Yes, you do. Yes, I want to, I want to discern better. What is it that's going to help us discern better? Very simple, holiness. 
Thomas Dubay, a very famous spiritual writer, contemporary, uh, wrote a book on discernment. He called it Authenticity. He could have called the book How to Grow in Holiness because the book was so much more about growing in holiness and only tag on at the end about actually how to discern because he kept coming back around to this simple point. If you're not holy, good luck. If you're not in union with the Lord, you're not going to be able to recognize God's voice amidst the clatter and the clutter and the, and the, and the noises and, and, the, and the stirrings and the desires. It's through union with God in holiness that you will grow in your capacity to recognize what the Lord is asking of you. That's a little bit frustrating because you wish it was more technique-based. Let me just apply these, let me learn these few techniques and practices, let me start implementing them, and all of a sudden, I get this big increase in my capacity to recognize God's will. Holiness is the key, the foundation, the capstone, it's the key. Why? Well, when you live your life in accord with God's will, when you live your life in accord with God's call to holiness, guess what grows in you? The clarity of God's voice. It'll become clearer, cleaner, deeper, what it is the Lord is asking of you. There are two principles, one from Aquinas, one from Augustine, that talk about this. But is this helpful, hearing all this theology? This is not, I'm not telling you a whole bunch of stories. I'm giving you a lot of content tonight, okay? I told you I was going to summarize, so I threw out all the funny stuff. So just laugh now, okay? All right, great. We got the laughter out of the way. Let's go now to Aquinas, and let's go to Augustine. All right, so Augustine says this. Love God and do what you want. Yes, victory lap. That's what I want for a principle of, of discernment. Lord, I love you. Yeehaw, let's go. Love God and do what you will. Why does he say that? He says that because if you really love Jesus, if you really truly love, love is an act of the will, Love is an act of giving of oneself over to the Lord. And when you give yourself in love to the Lord, you're responding to his love of you. That means there's this circulation of love. Ah, there's the union of love that is marked by a mutuality of giving and receiving. When you are in that relationship that's reciprocal of uh, this communion of love with the person of Jesus Christ, do you know what you will will? Do you know what you will desire? What he wills. You will desire what he desires. In the words of Aquinas, God does not will you to will what he wills. He wills you to will what he wills you to will. Ooh, that's really cool, right? In other words, what you will come to know in the loving union with Jesus is what he wills for you, and it becomes your desire to please him. Okay, let's move to Aquinas. Aquinas doesn't talk so much about the heart, he talks about the head. And so what he talks about is called co-natural knowledge. Co-natural knowledge. How's that for a phrase? You gotta love that. And it's this. Union begets knowing. When you are in a loving union with someone, you begin to know what they know. Right? There's a hundred stories to be told here, but you get it. So I remember talking to a guy this years ago, and he, he said, I got a funny story to tell. He's a Frenchman, French-Canadian, 
and loved his French-Canadian food with his French-Canadian wife of 50 years. He said he took a walk, and when he came in, as he was finishing his walk, he thought to himself, I'd like to have spaghetti tonight. He's French-Canadian. He never has spaghetti. His wife never cooks pasta. It's not what they eat. She, he walked in the door. He said, hi, honey. And he says, hey, I'm back from the walk. He says, honey, for dinner tonight, his wife said to him, I'm going to make spaghetti, right? It's this sense of there's a kind of knowing that's co-natural. It's natural to them together, right? You, you know that in marriages where there's a sense of love. You know, without even communicating in words, you know where the other's at. You know, and it's not just intuition. There's a knowing. And this is true also in our relationship with God. As we grow in our union with God, we'll come to know what he knows about what is true and good and beautiful in this moment. And that will help shape our discernment. Okay. And the last is this, is that if growing in holiness increases the clarity and the depth of our own capacity to recognize what the Lord is asking of us, what does sin do? Sin weakens it. Sin obscures it. Sin, in fact, weakens this sense of recognizing what God is acting and what God is saying. The way that Pope Paul VI, Saint Paul VI, when he was the Archbishop of Milan, wrote a very interesting um, uh, pay, a letter as a bishop on the religious sense. And in it, he says that the sense for God is connected in our lives to the sense of sin. Meaning, we, as, we, as we commit a sin, we lose the sensitivity in our spirit, in our minds, that we're actually sinning, and we lessen the clarity, the, the volume, the, the loudness of the voice of God. The voice of God becomes quieter and more clouded when we sin. So the sense of sin and the sense of God rise and fall together. The more that we have a sense of who God is, the more we recognize the sensitivity to sin that would weaken, diminish, or break our union with God. And as we walk away from that and reject that, the clarity of what God wants for us is stable, is grounded, is sure. And that's not always an easy answer, but it's an important one. If we are not growing in holiness, we are not going to be able to discern well. The second uh, basis for growing in discernment of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were already given to you, the sevenfold gifts, given in baptism, increased in confirmation. I'm just going to highlight a couple of these gifts in relationship to discernment. Remember now, what is wisdom? Just in terms of discernment, wisdom is the, the sensitivity, the capacity we have to recognize in any situation how what's happening here will find its fulfillment in God. Let me say that again. What's happening here will find its fulfillment of God. I see the finger of God at work here. That is so important for us to have wisdom in times of trial, tribulation, suffering, and tragedy. When we are in the midst of trial, tribulation, suffering, and tragedy, the thing that's happening to us looks like anything but the hand of God. But the hand of God 
on our lives means this. No matter how difficult, how painful what's going on right now, the Lord is still in control. And he either preserves us from the suffering or he's going to bring a good out of that suffering that is even greater than if the suffering didn't happen. Oh my goodness. To be able to know that in the middle of it is almost impossible. The trauma, the pain, the difficulty, it can make wisdom so thin but it makes us need to cling to Christ crucified. Jesus crucified is the worst thing that ever happened in human history. Did you hear that? It was the worst act, objectively speaking. We killed the innocent son of God. There's no greater act in human history that is as evil as that. And what did God do? God took the worst act that humanity ever performed and he turned it into the greatest act that he ever performed. He said, that's all you got? You know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to turn that into an act by which I redeem the world. You thought you were performing the greatest evil? I'm going to turn it into the most stunning, majestic good. For there Christ reigns as king right in the midst of the cross. It doesn't say he'll be king when he resurrected. No, he is king on the cross. And if I look back at the suffering that Carrie and I have had in our lives, the worst trials, the most terrible sufferings, those were the things that God used to bring about the greatest spiritual fruit that we've ever known. Now, with all that said, I would have never signed up for it. With all of that said, Carrie and I often say, could we have avoided it? With all of that said, we still look back and say, how did we let that happen? And then we eventually circle around to, but if that didn't happen, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have gone through that crucifying, freeing experience that has led us to this new place, this new depth, this new level. I don't know if we say thank you, God, yet but i can say thank you god for being victorious and redeeming what was a true crucifixion wisdom wisdom is that wisdom is the ability to sense how the hand of god is at work and he's saying i got you and i got this and watch what i can do that's wisdom we need wisdom today. And I could go on with some of the other gifts, but I'm, I'm, I've committed to keeping this shorter. So we could go through knowledge and counsel to be able to talk about those gifts as well, as gifts that are help us discern in the, in the practicalities of the day-to-day. -day. These are also gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're already in you. They're already alive in you. That's why we prayed all summer, Lord, release within us the gifts and graces that you have lavished upon us in baptism and confirmation. Lord, we yield to them, set them free, release those gifts in us so that we can operate in the fullness of the mission that you have for our lives. We are not meant to fulfill God's mission without the gifts and graces 
that God has already given to us for that purpose. These sevenfold gifts are meant to help us grow in holiness and fulfill our God-given mission. Okay, let's take a look at some scriptural principles and talk about practices, okay? So the first scriptural principle is Matthew 7, 17, which is a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Let's apply that to discernment. How do I discern if I'm doing the right thing? One of the primary modes of discernment, if you take a look at St. Ignatius, St. John of the Cross, uh, St. Francis de Sales, St. Alphonsus de Liguori, in their writings where they talk about discernment, one of the principal practices they they focus on is the interior uh, capacity to distinguish between consolation and desolation. You've probably heard this. Consolation and desolation. Those are the interior states that result from our taking action. Remember now, what is discernment? Recognize, respond. Discern, obey. You sense a prompting and you take action on it. Well, a way that we grow in discernment is by paying attention to what happens. Oh, I think this is from God. I take action on it and I'm like, ooh, that blew up in my face. That wasn't from God. I think I should intervene and talk to my kid in this way. I think I should um, push forward and and, and take this direction in my business. Uh, I think I should uh, discern about sending my kid to this school or or get involved in this mission. All of these different things, as we begin to take action, they're going to yield an interior state. Those two states, consolation and desolation. Consolation is what? It's marked by peace. It's marked by a sense of consolation. It's marked by a sense of light. Now, just in case you think that this only means that the world around you is all going to be like dancing in the field, right? No. Consolation is sometimes being in the eye of a hurricane, right? You all know the eye of the hurricane is what? It's calm. It's at peace but there is just destruction wreaked around you, right? But you're in the center and you're at peace. So sometimes consolation involves us taking action that is challenging, it's prophetic, it's difficult, it's pressing in where it's not easy to do that. It, 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 it puts a lot at risk, and it's really turbulent out there. But you know what? In, in doing those things, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I feel consolation, even though there's a hurricane going on around me. That's so helpful, because we often will think, I'm a peacemaker. Let me not stir any pots. Let me just be relentlessly positive and everything will be okay because God's in control. And God who's in control is saying, uh, you sensing the prompting in you? Get out there, stand up, speak out, push back. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but you're gonna be at peace because I'm with you. Unfortunately, that's the world we're moving into. We're already there. Desolation is just, is what? It's just the opposite. Desolation is where you feel dark and clouded. You feel a sense of confusion. You feel like this is, I feel horrible on the inside. Why am I? Because I discerned badly. 
took a, I, I forced it. I didn't step up my game enough. And, and you know what? Maybe there's peace around me. Oh, everything's still at peace. But inside, I feel horrible. So you see how the great spiritual writers focus on the interior state, having that sense of interior awareness to be able to identify what's happening inside of me is going to be the measure of whether or not I'm fulfilling the Lord's will. Consolation and desolation. Second, test all things, hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. Well, what am I testing? I'm trying to discern, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to take this action? Antonio Rosmini, he's a blessed, lived in the 19th century, very philosophical, social philosophy in the church's uh, understanding. Uh, he was a, um, someone that influenced St. John Paul II. Um, he also was uh, part of the Institute of Charity, was their religious community, and he developed these rules of discernment to help folks discern whether they ought to take a certain action. And he said, you need to test source, resource, and impact or result. Test those three things to see what direction you should take. So the first is source. What's the source of the inspiration that you should go do this? Where's that coming from? That, like for us, why did we even start a prayer meeting like this and give these talks? Where did that come from? Didn't come from us. It came from this impulse, this prompting, this sense. Now, Antonio Rosmini says, associate or evaluate your prompting in accord with three sources. The three sources are church authority, the needs of the neighbor, and personal inspiration. And it's in that order that you ought to evaluate and give weight to the direction you're considering. Isn't that interesting? The three again are church authority, the needs of the neighbor, and then personal inspiration. Where do we normally put as most important? Personal inspiration. I feel called to do this, so I should go do it. And Rosmini says, you want to sense what's happening in terms of the Lord calling you? Start with what's outside of you. Start with church authority. What is the church saying in the documents of the church? What are the church saying in the, from the popes and the bishops? Look to them as places where <coughs> you can pressure test your own discernment about what ought to be happening right now. That's why it's so important for us to be praying for our bishops, praying for the Pope, praying for our priests, that they will be what? Holy and courageous spiritual leaders who will stand up, speak out, and push back to the world so that we can take our guidance from them. When we have a lack of leadership from our shepherds, we are in a desperate circumstance because we don't have that clear voice to follow. So we end up looking around saying, whose voice should we follow? And the answer is just go on the internet, follow social influencers. That's another little joke, let's keep moving forward. But you go back to the time of uh, the Arian heresy and you have the great Saint Athanasius standing against what? About 80% of the bishops of the world who were betraying the authentic teaching, the orthodox teaching that Jesus Christ was true God and true man. He stood against the world. What about all the laity at that time who were looking, the priests looking to these bishops for guidance around what, what ought we to believe and how ought we to live? 
We live in hard times. So church of the second is needs of the neighbor. I look around and it's throbbingly clear that so many parents just don't have a clue about what their kids are accessing on the internet and what their kids are being taught in public schools, especially around comprehensive sexuality education. Their kids are literally being slaughtered slaughtered in their innocence, slaughtered in their sense of, of the, 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 the period in their lives where they're supposed to have this degree of, of, uh, of a latency around a sense of awareness and focus on sexual matters and sexual identity. It's a horror. And what are we supposed to do? Hide behind some walls and say, "Woo! thanks be to God, he rescued us. Or are we supposed to dive into the filth and stand up for kids whose parents won't stand up for them because they don't even realize what's happening, or maybe they've been sucked into it too because it's the popular thing. Good luck trying to discern, well, what are we supposed to do here? The answer is more than nothing. But what specifically we're supposed to do? I don't know. But the needs of the neighbor is a critical component in us being faithful. God planted you here. He planted you now, and he brought you into this church, so now you're accountable because you heard it. You're, you're on the hook, guys. Sorry. All right. And the last is personal inspiration. Personal inspiration is last. Why? Aquinas says this. Did the prophets know that they were actually prophesying from God? Isn't that an interesting question? Did the prophets, he meant authentic prophets, Old Testament prophets, did the prophets know when they were prophesying for certain that what they were saying came from God? He said, no. He said, no. That at times they were, but it wasn't guaranteed. So there's a way in which you don't rely, first of all, on your own thinking. Don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Don't just believe your own even deeply held beliefs. Pressure test it. Have someone outside of you that can help you sort it out. And then here's a question. Who has the freedom to speak into your life and put into question your own way of thinking. Do we have that person? This is one of the ways in which we are meant to support each other, is to have the courage to let others speak into our lives. Okay, what about, um, so that's the source. What about resource? The second one is this, so uh, Rosmini says, when it comes time to the resource, if you're considering, okay, am I called to do this? Well, what resources do I have? And he says, are we able to, or can we be trained to do this work of charity? Remember, Institute of Charity. Are we supposed to do this mission? Are we supposed to get involved in this activity? Are we supposed to take on this initiative? Are we supposed to do this? Well, do you have the resources? Do you have the time, the energy, the capability? Or can you be trained to have the time, the capability, and make the time, and devote the energy? That's where it becomes a harder discernment. There's a way in which, as you've been gifted, so you've been called, okay? It's not just as you've been called, so you've been gifted. But sometimes you don't sure what the, what the call is, so pay attention to your gifts. What are you inclined to? What do you like to do? What are you good at? Realize that those gifts God gave you for maybe more than one purpose than you realize. Maybe you think, oh, God gave me this gift and I get to use them in my career and that career is able to provide for my family. Beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Yes. But God may have also given you those gifts for another purpose, for his purposes. 
So realize that the gifts you have and the gifts you're using, and especially the gifts you're maturing, those mature gifts can be put at his service for his glory. Do you give him the space to do that? Very interesting. Let's pray for that gift of discernment so that we will recognize and respond to God's call. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we praise you and thank you and adore you for all the ways that you've blessed us with our faith, our Catholic faith, and Lord, I just ask that you would bless each and every one of the dear ones who are here with an increase of the gift of discernment. That each of them, Lord, at their point of need, would have a sense of clarity, would have a sense of light and peace regarding what it is you're asking of them in the little things and in the big things. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the great saints, and the doctors of the church who have handed down this teaching to us. May we make it our own and live out your glory more fully in our lives. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.